Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dr. Mazen Hanna, and I'm the co-director of the Amyloidosis Center here at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, welcome this morning to our Tall Rounds titled Treatment of Cardiac Amyloidosis. For those of you who joined us in the fall, we had a uh, previous tall rounds on the diagnosis of cardiac amyloidosis. And then later in the spring, we're going to have a third one in this series, really how to follow patients uh, over time. So without further ado, we're going to start with a case, um, Dr. Ariane Agdamag, who's part of our heart failure section. Good morning. I will be presenting a case of biopsy-proven ATTR and AL cardiac amyloid. This is a case of a 51-year-old Caucasian male who initially presented to our clinic with exertional dyspnea. His past medical history was significant for carpal tunnel syndrome, spinal stenosis, bicep tendon rupture, and coronary artery disease. Pertinent in his physical exam included periorbital purple discoloration, as well as trace lower extremity edema. Initial workup for his dyspnea on exertion included a transthoracic echocardiogram, which showed severe concentric LVH with interventricular septal thickness of 1.92 cm and posterior wall thickness of 1.9 cm with concern for infiltrative disease. With this, an amyloid evaluation was started. His laboratory tests were significant for an elevated troponin, NT pro BNP, lambda light chain, proteinuria, and very low kappa lambda ratio. His EKG showed normal sinus rhythm, low voltage EKG, and a left anterior fascicular block. Imaging testing included a PYP scan, which showed a visual score grade of zero with no uptake. His cardiac MRI showed evidence of diffuse abnormal patchy mid-wall left ventricular left late get lineum enhancement, as well as elevated extracellular volume. His bone marrow biopsy showed no evidence of amyloid deposition. Fluorescence inside to his hybridization was normal. Given these above findings, he was recommended to undergo endomyocardial biopsy for further evaluation. His endomyocardial biopsy was significant for amyloid deposits. This was confirmed on both immunohistochemistry and as well as typing with mass spectrometry, which showed lambda immunoglobulin light chains as well as transthyretin. With this, he underwent genetic testing, which was negative, indicating wild-type ATTR amyloidosis. He was eventually started on daratumumab plus cyborg D regimen with noted good response. He was eventually transitioned to a single-agent daratumumab and was started on tefamidis. He has been following on outpatient basis and has been doing well tolerating all his medications. This rare case of biopsy-proven AL and ATTR hemorrhoidosis highlights the importance of a thorough investigation as well as a stepwise treatment. Preethi William will talk about the management of cardiac amyloidosis. Management of cardiac amyloidosis. There are several kinds of amyloidosis, and the two main types that we're looking into are the AL uh, due to a bone marrow disorder and the ATTR due to misfolded proteins from the liver due to acquired status called wild type or a genetic mutation called, it, called as the hereditary type. Subsequently, either of these deposit in the heart. When the biopsy is done or a tissue sample is analyzed, the pathology shows diffuse involvement of multiple structures and as a result, you have altered mechanics and heart failure. This is a pictorial representation of an epidemiological view of cardiac amyloidosis. 
The tip of the iceberg uh, represents clinical stage C and D heart failure. Below the waterline, you see uh, the obvious arrhythmias and valvular heart disease. However, in most instances, this is an unidentified cardiac amyloidosis. And at stage A, you see the extracardiac amyloid deposits. This is a cardiac amyloid spectrum uh, from left to right. Uh, the image on the left side simulates the ischemic cascade. And you see that there is orthopedic manifestations. Uh, that you see more of imaging biomarkers. And the images on the right portray diastolic dysfunction due to increased wall thickness and altered tissue dopplers. And intertwined with these findings are your atrial uh, arrhythmias or arrhythmias in general, and eventually having systolic dysfunction and cardiogenic shock. Management of cardiac amyloid eventually now uh, has twofold uh, mechanisms of treatment. On the right side are the disease modifying targeted therapies that my colleagues are going to go in detail with more detailed data. Uh, and this has evolved and changed the landscape in the last decade uh, with clinical trials. The, on the left side is a supportive care, which I'm going to go through. Uh, this is based predominantly on consensus and specialty guidelines. And the outcomes of most of these data are targeted uh, therapeutics uh, interventions that have been done uh, after that. Management of cardiac amyloid uh, will focus on the top two aspects of supportive care uh, based on these uh, references that we have. Atrial arrhythmias are the predominant uh, finding that we see, and then we see heart blocks, ventricular arrhythmias, and device management. Most importantly, anticoagulation is recommended regardless of the CHADS-VAS score. Uh, incidence of thrombus is seen in multiple areas of the myocardium, and in specific, uh, you do see uh, left atrial mechanics that are altered and can predict thrombotic events. Rhythm control is relatively tolerated, and we'll discuss in the next slide as to why rate control drugs are not well tolerated. And uh, catheter ablation is successful uh, with less recurrence rate over the year in patients with early stages of the disease. And device management follows societal guidelines. Uh, these patients do receive appropriate ICD shocks. However, there has not been survival benefit, partly because a host of sudden cardiac death in these patients are related to pump failure, electromechanical dissociation and PEA, and higher defibrillation threshold likely related to amyloid deposition in the myocardium. An ambulatory EKG and electrophysiological study can be done on a case-by-case -case basis on a, a consultation. Supportive care for cardiac amyloid uh, in the era of precision medicine and machine learning. Volume management is the mainstay of treatment uh, with a narrow, a narrow margin of uh, tolerability using MRA, SGLT2, and diuretics. GDMT is poorly tolerated. Uh, as you know, most of these patients have restrictive cardiomyopathy, and the heart rate uh, is compensatory, and the fixed volume uh, depends on that compensatory heart rate to produce the cardiac output. 
So when you suppress these patients' heart rate, they do develop decompensated heart failure. Uh, note on digoxin, uh, our own institution has a database of these patients. Uh, it can be used, uh, must be used with caution, with close monitoring, especially in elderly patients, patients with renal dysfunction, and those with concomitant amiodarone use. Autonomic dysfunction and hypotension is a well-known finding as well, as these patients are known to have difficulty in regulation, regulating the autonomic nervous system. And TAVR outcomes are better compared to SAVR or medical therapy in the aortic stenosis and amyloid cohort. Ultimately, a multidisciplinary team approach is required for patients uh, with structural surgical interventions and consideration for clinical trials. That brings us to stage D heart failure, uh, where we assess the options on a multidisciplinary team basis. Heart transplantation has been considered, uh, mechanical circulatory support has been considered as well. I believe that the newer drugs are going to change the landscape of these advanced therapies as well. Um, heart transplant done in our centers uh, are depicted here. And some of the most uh, compelling contraindications is refractory neuropathy or uncontrolled disease, multi-organ involvement, and malnutrition associated with poor outcomes. Mechanical circulatory support is limited by the small LV cavity size, biventricular involvement, and tolerability to anticoagulation. And that brings us to palliative medicine uh, that could be delinked from the prognosis and focused on quality of care uh, and lifestyle uh, with, to prevent symptomatic hypotension. Uh, in addition to compression stockings, uh, most of these drugs can be tailored to patients' individual needs, uh, although precautions and adverse effects to be of note. That brings us to the summary slide uh, of supportive care of cardiac amyloidosis. We reviewed management of heart failure where GDMT is less tolerated and there is a narrow window of euvolemia. And arrhythmias uh, in general follow societal guidelines. And uh, of note, anticoagulation is recommended in these patients uh, due to high thrombotic risk. And I will pass it on to my colleagues. Thank you. So with that, I will turn it over to uh, Jack Khoury, who's one of our uh, hematologists specialized in multiple myeloma and AL amyloidosis to give us an overview of treatment. Okay, so uh, the main treatment for AL amyloid aims at shutting off the source of the amyloidogenic light chain in AL amyloidosis. So a lot of the treatments that we use are borrowed from the multiple myeloma armamentarium since that's the same cell that causes the problem here. And currently, there's a lot of drugs that we can use. As you can see, a lot of them um, target the plasma cell. And the main aim here is to reduce the production of the actual amyloidogenic light chain. Um, the new wave of clinical trials, as Mass discussed for ATTR, is actually also um, aiming at targeting the actual fibril that's deposited in the heart and the other organs in, hope, um, in hopes to improve the um, organ function that many patients are left with, um, organ dysfunction and um, leading to, to poor survival. So the survival of AL has improved over time, regardless of the treatment that people um, got. And this is basically due to the fact that more patients are diagnosed early and the treatments are actually improving with time. We all know that um, it's really, really important to get people um, to a deep hematologic response, basically dropping the light chain um, to a very low level, a very deep hematologic level, and rapidly. 
So we know that patients who achieve a very deep hematologic response, basically what we call a VGPR, so very good partial response or better, uh, these are the patients that do best. So it's really important to drop that light chain, um, and VGPR is a difference of three light chains um, of at least of less than 40. So patients who achieve that or better are the patients that fare best, and this is basically the aim of a lot of the things that we do in AL to rapidly reduce that light chain. This diagram shows the evolution of the treatment of AL. So back in the 90s and the early 2000s, we mostly aimed at um, using alkylating agents. So melphalan, which is a chemotherapy drug that was used commonly in myeloma in combination with steroids, so prednisone or dexamethasone. And then um, studies on myeloablative dosing of melphalan, so high doses of um, the same chemotherapy drug in combination with a stem cell transplant was implemented in the um, early 90s and um, early 2000s um, in these patients. And this is more for eligible patients. So this treatment is very toxic. And so the selection of patients uh, was a problem because there was um, increased mortality with this treatment, which led to um, the development of more tolerable treatments. And the mainstay for a long time, since at least the 2010s, was Cyborg-D, which is a combination of cyclophosphamide, bortezomib, and dexamethasone. And then more recently, in 2021, um, the standard of care changed with the addition of the anti-CD38 monoclonal antibody, daratumumab, to Cyborg-D, which constitutes the main um, standard of care. Um, the way daratumumab works is it targets the CD38 protein on the surface of the uh, plasma cell. CD38 is very important for the survival of the plasma cell, and so when the drug binds to it, it um, tags it for destruction by NK cells, phagocytes, um, and complement fixation, which leads to killing of the actual plasma cell. Now, the main study that set the center of care for amyloidosis, for AL amyloid, is the Andromeda study that was published in NEJM in 2021, which led to the FDA approval of the combination of daratumumab with the standard of care at the time, which was um, bortezomib, cyclophosphamide, and dexamethasone. The study um, was a randomized phase three study of about 400 patients that randomized patients in a one-to-one -one fashion uh, between VCD, which was the standard, or VCD with daratumumab. Um, the initial um, cycles were, um, the initial treatment consisted of six cycles of treatment, and then patients continued on daratumumab maintenance if they were in the daratumumab arm, or just observation if they did not receive daratumumab. Patients who were excluded in this study were patients who were sicker, uh, mostly advanced cardiac patients, so stage 3A um, patients, um, sorry, stage 3B patients who had an antiprobia NP of 8,500 or higher. So a lot of these sick people were um, excluded. The primary endpoint was hematologic complete response, which is basically normalization of the um, involved light chain, either kappa or lambda, and the ratio of kappa and lambda. These are the results of the Andromeda study. So the primary endpoint, which is complete response, was definitely better with the addition of daratumumab. So more than half of the patients achieved the complete response versus only barely 20% of the patients um, with the standard of care at the time. Looking at deeper levels of flight chains, which is better for patient survival, again, same thing. 70% of the patients achieved an involved free light chain level of less than 20, which is a very deep uh, response. And the difference of free light chains with, um, of less than 10 uh, milligrams per liter was also seen in more patients who received um, daratumumab. 
Another um, endpoint that was looked at in the study was the major organ deterioration progression-free survival, which was a secondary endpoint, which basically looked at patients who had no deterioration in their cardiac or renal status, so patients who did not need um, further intervention for their cardiac um, disease, so LVAD, heart transplant, and such, and patients who um, did not have renal deterioration, so patients who did not end up on dialysis. And they looked at those patients separately, and again, we did see improvement um, with the addition of daratumumab. The two-year follow-up of this study showed that the responses continued to deepen over time, so more patients achieved CR, complete response, with time at two years, versus with the standard of care, the number was still the same. So daratumumab is definitely something that um, improved um, the standard of care that we had at the time. And this study basically led to the approval of this combination, the quadruplet therapy uh, for patients with AL amyloid. Looking at response rates, so cardiac response rates um, also were better at six months and 18 months with the addition of daratumumab. So 50% or more of the patients at 18 months had recovered their um, cardiac um, dysfunction versus about 20%. So there was more than doubling of the response here. Same thing for renal. At six months and 18 months, more than 50% of the patients um, achieved organ response versus um, 20% for the standard of care. Quality of life um, also improved with the addition of daratumumab, looking at two um, scores here that we use in, um, in AL, so QLQ and um, C30, looking at global health status and fatigue. There's definitely improvement with the addition of daratumumab um, with um, good tolerability. The unanswered questions from that study is basically for patients who, um, who have worse cardiac disease, so stage 3B patients with the anti-PRO-BNP above 8,500. Patients who had advanced renal disease on dialysis were not included either. And again, so complete responses were seen in more than 50% of the patients, but there's still about 45% of the patients who did not really achieve that CR. So, you know, we still need more, um, you know, more work in that um, area. This is a treatment algorithm for how we treat AL amyloidosis currently. So the first line is with daratumumab, bortezomib, cyclophosphamide, and dexamethasone. We need to achieve um, at least a PR with this. If there is no PR, if the patient is eligible, we move on to a stem cell transplant. If not, then we can follow the um, algorithm for relapse disease. If someone achieved a CR or a very good partial remission, then we can just continue with the Andromeda protocol. Now, let's say the patient did not really achieve a partial response. This is when, you know, the treatment is really, there's no standard of care and it's basically dependent on the hematologist. But a lot of the treatments that we used are, again, um, borrowed from multiple myeloma. A drug that's very promising that we have published on is venetoclax, which is a BCL2 inhibitor. BCL2 is an anti-apoptotic uh, protein, and if you block it, you can potentially um, help um, kill the plasma cell. And it's been um, used for people with translocation 1114, which is a chromosomal translocation that we see commonly in amyloid in about 50% of the patients. Um, and this drug has really shown um, a lot of um, promise um, in this arena. Now, moving on from targeting the plasma cell, like Maz was talking about in ATTR, the new wave of therapies is also aiming at clearing the amyloid fibrils in hopes to uh, improve organ uh, dysfunction in our patients. Again, you know, 50% of the patients are left with organ dysfunction, and so it's an unmet need in this um, situation. So two antibodies that we're looking um, at in um, AL amyloid, uh, CAEL-101 and bertamimab, um, and they, you know, they both target different epitopes, 
uh, cryptic epitopes on the surface of the uh, misfolded light chain, and they're both in clinical trials um, right now. The bertamimab clinical, um, clinical trial, so the bertamimab drug was tested in a large uh, phase three study called the VITAL study. The study was not, um, was not successful. It did not meet its primary endpoint. However, when they did post-hoc analyses on patients who were sicker, so Mayo stage four patients, and these are the patients with elevated troponins and elevated anti-proBNPs, um, there was a survival benefit in those patients at nine months. So there was a signal. Uh, for those patients. And currently the drug is um, being tested in a large phase three study that looks at uh, patients with stage four amyloid only. So this study is only for stage four AL amyloid. We do have it open here at the clinic and it randomizes patients to standard of care with bertamimab versus placebo. And the primary endpoint is all-cause mortality and there's a bunch of secondary endpoints, including six minute walk test. The other anti-amyloid fibril antibody is um, CAEL-101, which targets a different um, cryptic epitope on the misfolded light chain. Um, we were involved in the, um, in the testing of this drug here at the clinic, and we did have the phase two here open that included two parts, part A and part B, which involved um, giving the drug initially at four weekly doses with standard of care chemotherapy, and then moving on to maintenance with biweekly dosing. The, um, the second part included deratumumab after the approval of deratumumab for um, AL amyloid. If you look at the cardiac responses, so blue and green is either stable or resolved. A lot of patients achieved um, at least stable um, organ response um, or better. Um, and even after cessation of we did see the same thing. So more patients achieved um, stable and um, or resolved um, or, you know, or response in the um, cardiac response. So this is very promising, and there's currently um, two phase three studies that have fully accrued um, looking at this um, drug, and we're um, awaiting the read on those studies. Thanks. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.